Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. You're listening to the best of the Indo-Daily. This podcast contains descriptions of sexual violence that some listeners may find distressing. Today on the Indo-Daily, the murder of Nicola Furlong. In 2011, Nicola Furlong embarked on the trip of a lifetime to Japan. A student of international business and languages at Dublin City University... Nicola went to Tokyo for her Erasmus year of study. I think her father, Andrew, who I interviewed over the years, I think he said he encouraged her to go, which was something I think he, he struggled with then as, as years went by, you know. But eight months later, she was murdered, leaving her distraught family in Ireland seeking answers and justice. Well, we said at the start that it was going to be down to the Japanese, and when we found out when we came out here that he was being tried as a minor, we knew what he was going to get there. It was never going to be a hanging or it was never going to be anything like that, so they said five to ten. I'm Fionn Sheen, and today I'm joined by Ali Bracken, journalist with the Sunday Independent, to look at how a talented student's dream journey became a parent's nightmare and how a murderer is about to be released. He even looked both of Nicola's parents in the eye and said... I just want you to know that Nicola did not suffer. Those words has just led to so much anguish and, and anger that he would dare to speak to them in such a way. Ali, Nicola Furlong, can you tell us about her, her early life and her background? Yeah, Nicola, she was from Curraclough in, in Wexford and she very much had a, an affinity with, with the place and, and was very much a home bird, even though she was studying in, uh, in DCU in, in Dublin, business and Japanese. But she, she would have gone home all the time um, because she was very close to both of her parents and her younger sister. And she was kind of very involved locally in, in sport, in camogie uh, as a young teenager. And horse riding, I think, was a, was a big passion of hers as well, you know. And very academic in school, and that that's how she ended up going down the, the path she did in terms of her, her studies in, in college. She would have done very well in, in, in her leaving cert, I believe, yes, and, and went on to study business and Japanese in DCU. And then it was as part of that program that for her third year, she did an Erasmus year in Japan, and uh, she went to Tokyo to, to do that year. And, and she, was, she was very excited about the, the prospects. Of that, and I, I think she was kind of nervous as well. Like she was, she was twenty one years old. It was obviously very far from home, and and she is someone who who loved her her family, and I think she she had a boyfriend as well in 
in Wexford, uh, a local football player. So I think she was, you know, slightly nervous, but I, I think it helped a lot that a friend of hers was also going. Um, but but I, th- I think her father, Andrew, who I interviewed over the years, I, I think he said he encouraged, you know, he encouraged her to go, which was something I think he, he struggled with then as, uh, you know, as years went by, you know. Yeah, because Erasmus here seemed to be very much uh, a great opportunity for, for college students to have that experience of, of being abroad for a, for a full academic year. Definitely, yeah. And, and since she was studying Japanese, obviously it would have done, done wonders for her in terms of progression with the language, you know. So, you know, she, she went for it um, and apparently her studies over there were, were going great. And she was very well regarded by her by her teachers over in over in Tokyo as well, and was and was you know really settling settling in well and and fully able for the work that was in front of her that that year she was away. Wednesday, May twenty third in twenty twelve, there was a concert in Tokyo. There was uh, Nicki Minaj, who'd be a very famous American rap artist, and very much of that kind of generation. She would have been a, a big star. And teenagers and people in their twenties were, were were kind of the main following. And Nicola was a big fan, and so was her friend. And you know they were absolutely it's so excited that that she was going to be in Tokyo. She she's never been to Ireland, as far as I know. So the opportunity to go and see her was was one they grabbed with with both hands. And I think they they had a great time getting getting ready for it, getting dressed up. And they were really excited about, about going to such a big concert in an entirely different country. So it was something that they uh, were greatly looking forward to that night. Yeah, and she she was even in contact with her with her parents about going to it and and, and the excitement of 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 going out uh, to this event. Yeah, she'd been speaking, I think, to both of her parents and telling them what she was going to be wearing and, and just how how much fun they were going to have and I think both of her parents said that they, you know, they were fully expecting a phone call the next day with, with a rundown of, of exactly how the night had gone because, you know, I think she was in contact with them, with them both almost every day as it was, but, but they were really expecting a, you know, a, a phone call the next day, given what she had just been at and, and, and to kind of tell them how it had been. Uh, but I suppose the phone call never came. So after the concert, they were heading home, um, but they missed their train. Yeah, they missed their train, unfortunately, and they were at the train station, and it seemed to be it seemed to be a matter of minutes, uh, and the train had had gone. So I think they were kind of standing outside the the train station, just trying to figure out what what to do uh, in terms of how to get home. I, I presume a taxi was the only option, really. So they were just kind of standing around outside, kind of weighing up what their next plan would be to get back to their hotel. And then they were approached by by two American men outside the station. Ali, th- these two men, Hines and, and Blackson, who were they? What what were they doing at the concert that night? Uh, well, Richard Hines, he is a, a keyboard player from, from Memphis and very, very talented and kind of was considered you know, very much a rising star. And he was only 19. I think it was the first time he'd even been out of America. And he, and he got signed to go on this tour. And he was essentially in, in the entourage of, of the Nicki Minaj 
crew, I suppose. They, he was a, a keyboard player for one of her backup acts. He was another rapper called AI. Hines himself was known as boy with the hands of an angel. He was he was so talented. I think he was I think he was ten when when his abilities with the keyboard kind of began to emerge. It was an opportunity of a lifetime for him. And I think James Blackstone was a slightly different character. He was he was obviously a lot older than than Richard. He was twenty three. He grew up in South Central LA, which would be a very impoverished area, really, and you know, synonymous with the LA riots and all of that. So they approached the two girls and kind of introduced themselves. And look, I, I'm sure, I'm sure for the two young women who had just been at the concert, I'm sure they were greatly impressed that that they were now meeting two people who were had been performing at the same concert that, that they were just at. So I think a, a conversation began. And they decided to go for for a couple of drinks in a nearby bar. So the four of them go for a drink, and, and what what happened from there on? They seemed to be drinking tequila. Uh, was was the evidence later um, from Nicola's friends, who doesn't really remember much after that fact. Uh, and I think the reason she doesn't remember anything after that fact is because date rape drugs were were placed in their drinks by the men whose company they were in. Uh, and Nicola's friend doesn't even remember the taxi ride home, but there, there subsequently was a taxi taxi ride home with the two the two Irish women accompanied by, by Richard Hines and by James Blackstone. And from there then, the, the, the taxi journey takes them to a hotel. Yes, it was the, the hotel where, where the two girls were staying. Um, and the taxi, the taxi ride home with the four of them, and, and luckily for what later transpired, it was actually being recorded. Many many taxis in in Japan, unlike here, would would have CCTV within them. And what happened what happened in the taxi on the way home, I think, was was really helpful for the subsequent court case. But it was it was quite shocking what was beginning to unfold. Um, at that point, between the, the between the two men and the two women, Nicola and, and her friend, were essentially comatose at that point. And so you've got two women who are unconscious. You've these two men, and the two men are, are are discussing what they're going to do, basically. Essentially, yes. And I think Richard Hines is was captured on the. CCTV footage saying, you know, I think his words were, these bitches fell into our lap. And then both men, you know, very leering, crude language about how they intend to have have sex with the two women, uh, you know, regardless that they were completely in a comatose state. And I think at, at that point, the, the sexual assault committed by the older man, James Blackston against Nicola's friend, that actually occurred in the taxi um, on, on the way to, to their hotel. They, I think they even ex- exchanged fist, fist bumps as well, kind of o- over their leering discussion over, you know, the prospect that they were both determined to have, to have sex with these w- women, I suppose, whether or not they, whether or not they were consenting or not. I mean, wh- what happened then at the hotel? So they arrived back at the hotel. It's, it's the girls' hotel. And, um, neither can can walk they're essentially comatose so the two men have to ask the desk the hotel desk for for wheelchairs for them because they're they're not conscious they can't walk 
So they get wheelchairs and they wheel the girls up to their up to their respective rooms. And Richard Hines goes into a room with Nicola and James Blackson goes into a room with Nicola's friend. And how was the alert raised then that that about what what subsequently happened? The, the evidence was it was about an hour. I think they wanted have been in the room about an hour before another guest heard screaming um, in coming from Nicola's room. So she called down to reception and, and reported this, that there was seemed to be something not quite right in, in a room close by to her. Hotel staff then went up to the room, gained entry to the room and found Nicola in an unconscious state in the bed, seriously, you know, injured by all accounts. And there was a man just standing standing in the room uh, over her, very close by her to the bed. And that was Richard Hines, the 19-year-old. How does word come back to Ireland then? And how are, are Nicola's family told about uh, what has happened? Well, I think like they, they had both been awaiting, uh, both of her parents who, who, who don't live together, but they, they'd both been awaiting kind of a phone call from, from Nicola the next morning to, to tell them all about the, the wonderful concert and the night out. But instead, from, from speaking to Andrew, her father, he was greeted instead by, by a guard at his door at 8 a.m. Who, who knocked on his door and told him he had some, some terrible news for him and, and relayed that it was the belief through contact the Japanese authorities had made with them that, that his daughter had, had died. But even at, even at that stage, information was quite scant and I think there might have been some communication difficulties and, and issues. Um, and I think there was even a real hope from, from both of her parents that you know, that it wasn't the case that, that, that she was dead, that it was the case that perhaps she had been injured, but but they really didn't know what had fully happened. They didn't, they weren't, the Japanese didn't provide that much information to Gardi. And of course, you know, the parents would have been in a, a deep state of shock to, to be relayed such news. So information was scant, but, you know, one thing was for sure, they, they knew something terrible had happened to Nicola. So yeah, the circumstances were were slightly unclear for a couple of days. I think just with communication barriers be- between the, the the Japanese authorities and and the Garda, and you know just a different way of doing things in terms of how much information they they revealed at, at, at the beginning. But within a couple of days, it, it it did become clear to the family that unfortunately Nicola had lost her life in Tokyo. A horrific death uh, of a, a talented young woman, uh, tragically on on the far side uh, of the world, and then her family's grief is then compounded by uh, a court case. What what are these two men, uh, Richard Hines and James Blackson? What are they charged with? Well, they were arrested immediately in the hotel by by the police, and Richard Hines was charged with murder. And James Blackston was charged with sexual assaults and they weren't let out of custody essentially until their trial began the following year. So it was less than a year. I think it was around eight or nine months between the night of the incident and the the subsequent trial for, for the two men. And they were in custody all of that time. What defence did, did Hines put up uh, in court 
uh, with his legal team. The way they tried to paint Nicola, not a hope in hell was she like that. And all her friends and anyone that knew her, and I hope everyone that didn't know her realised that she wasn't a bit like they were trying to make out. He kind of, he gave a lot of evidence himself and he, well, it, it was, everything he said was was really revealed later to be, you know, a, com a complete fabrication. Um, he said that the, the two women had approached them outside the train station and that they wanted to party. Well, I think was the, the words he used. And it was a lot of insinuation that, you know, Nic Nicola was promiscuous and, and her and her friend were the ones driving this night out with the two men. And that he said that he had wanted to, when they were in the bar, the girls got so drunk and he felt it wasn't, it was out of kindness for them that, that he didn't want to leave them there. Um, and it was out of kindness he brought her back to her hotel. So this kind of narrative from from both men, when you know the reality was that they they put date rape drugs into their drinks, and then also he said when he brought her to the hotel room, it was she was the one who was trying to initiate sex with him, and she had indicated she wanted rough sex with him, and very comments that just weren't in any way substantiated and weren't in any way true that the medical evidence would, would later show. And he said that he, he did admit placing his, his, his arm essentially on her neck gently, but he didn't, that, he said that was to try and calm her down. Um, he said he didn't intend to kill her. So he was a very religious man and he made quite a big issue that he was, had been praying for her soul. And the insinuation was very much that he had accidentally got got caught up in something with her, but that she was the instigator and that she had ended up up dead because of her own behaviour was very much the impression he was trying to give give to the court. All of this was completely at odds to the to the actual evidence. Uh, like the autopsy results, you know, were, showed that she was actually strangled with a ligature, I think most likely a towel, probably they said. And unfortunately, you know, in evidence, the family had to hear the doctor said that, you know, death wouldn't have been, wouldn't have, wouldn't have been quick. It would have taken minutes. This notion that he lightly pressed his arm on her to on her neck to calm her down was, was completely, you know, discredited immediately. And then that matched with the evidence from the CCTV from the taxi where, where, you know, where Richard Hines actually says these uses that awful language, these bitches fell in our lap, you know, and fist pumps and, and bragging about the prospect of sex with them completely discredited him. Um, and, you know, caused huge upset to the family. I, th I think towards the end of his testimony, he, he even looked both of Nicola's parents in the eye and said, I just want you to know that Nicola did not suffer. And I think those words, I think from speaking to Andrew a couple of times over the years is, is has just led to so much anguish and, and anger by, by her parents that, that he would dare to, to speak to them in such a way, as, especially when it's, when it's lies as, as, as far as they're concerned, because that's, that's what the evidence is that, that unfortunately she did suffer greatly in, in the last few minutes of her, of her life. And what verdict did the court return? She always will be very, very special little girl to us. The whole nation, the whole world can see that now. 
Nicholas Akutkar. He was found guilty of Nicholas' murder and he was handed down a sentence of between five and ten years in prison. And James Blackstone, the, the verdict against him? James Blackston was convicted of sexual assault and he was given three years in prison. For the last nine months, this has been, this has been our goal. There's going to be an emptiness now, but that's probably start, or our start of grieving or for Nicola and she can rest in peace now and hopefully she is. Please God. Blackston is out of prison and in Hines' case, he's actually due for release later this year. Is he showing any remorse or acceptance of, of what he did here? No, none whatsoever. Um, it's entirely Richard Hines' own fault that he's still in prison. He could have been out in five years if he behaved himself and, and showed any genuine remorse. But he he's refused to do either of those things. Nicola's family members now saying he, he should stay in jail for longer. The court ruling was 10 years maximum and the, the Japanese authorities seem to be holding that to as long as they can and he will serve every day of the 10-year sentence, it looks like anyway. But the prospect of, under law, he must be released in, in November of this year. But I mean, he'll be, he'll be just 29 years of age when, when he gets out of gets out of prison, I suppose, with, with his whole life ahead of him. Like, that's, that's still a very, a very young man. My thanks to Ali Bracken. I'm Fiannon Sheen, and today's episode was produced by Mary Carl, researched by Gareth Mulhall, with sound designed by John Smith. Archive clips from Nicki Minaj, CNN, The International Business Times, and the Lorraine Smith YouTube channel. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in this podcast, you can find a list of helplines at independent.ie forward slash helplines.